Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. Hope you're well. After what has been a relatively quiet week, it's been all chilled out. You know, you reach the FA Cup final and, and everyone's all relaxed. We've done this. This is what's going on. This is our lives now, people. It's like Arsenal game win, nothing. Arsenal game win, nothing. Arsenal, you know... Not that I'm looking or seeking for variety in any way, particularly not this weekend, given the opposition, given the fact, obviously, that we're playing Chelsea, and they're cunts, as we know. We have, from time to time, touched on this subject on this podcast about what absolute cunts they are. And, of course, uh, Chelsea are managed by Jose Mourinho, who happens to be probably in the top four biggest cunts of all time. No question. Like, no doubt about it. Go back through history, through humanity, the people who've done terrible things, awful things, unforgivable things, and he's right up there with all of them. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to try and categorize. I'm not going to say which three, because it's very subjective, isn't it? Who are the three people in history that are worse than Jose Mourinho? It changes from day to day. It's like somebody saying to you, what is your favorite song? And it all really depends on your mood, doesn't it? One day it could be something upbeat and rocky, and the next day it could be something more more mellow and tranquil, something that touches you to your soul because of something that happened, maybe some heartbreak, and then you're listening to a sad song, and that's your favorite song, and then you're all better again, and it's something poppy and dancey. You know, it's it changes. So who the three people are over the course of time and history, but I, I'm just not prepared to give it that much thought. 
all I know is like I can see it. It's like a, a picture in my brain. You know the way some people see numbers as colors and they can add up stuff? You know, this is the way it is in my head. I can see it, absolutely. And not only is he in the top four, top three, maybe top three, maybe he's number one now. You see, I see how quickly things change. Not only am I including everybody that ever lived on Earth, I'm including fictional characters as well. People that have been in films and books and songs and TV shows and, and podcasts, which are dedicated to making up fictional characters who are the most reprehensible people that you can ever think of who do the worst things imaginable he's right up there with all of those and he is i i'm i'm gonna say it now i'm gonna say it right now he's worse than phil collins that's what we're dealing with this weekend so i don't want the variety of having to discuss something against chelsea that didn't work out i'm I'm just not interested in that at all i want like well that was great fun Uh, fuck you Chelsea, fuck you, Mourinho. And of course, John Terry. And also Phil Collins, even though he's not a Chelsea fan, I want to make sure I don't mention his name again, because if you say it three times, he appears. He's like a really annoying, small, bald, Motown song-destroying candy man. So I won't say, I won't mention his name again. So that's what we're up against this weekend, people. Going into it on a great run of form and everything else so we'll touch on that game and team news and, and all those kind of things but from an Arsenal point of view it's been a, a very 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 quiet week and that's good that is good elsewhere though I have discovered that the Andrew Mangan who lives in America whichever guy this is I think he's the guy in Colorado has signed me up for something well it's like a campaign group because I got an email which said Andrew John Oliver was right. Now, I happen to like John Oliver a lot. He's really very good at what he does on that new uh, that new TV show of his called uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. That's how you know it's got John Oliver in it. And he was brilliant on The Daily Show. I'll set aside the fact that he is, unfortunately, a Liverpool fan. Bit of a mug smasher there is John, but he's great. And really entertaining guy and very funny and very clever and... Uh, that recent interview with uh, Edward Snowden was was fantastic. And I got this email saying John Oliver was right. I was thinking, wow, what about what in particular? Uh, but then I've been signed up for this thing called um, Demand Progress. So that's what it is. I was going, what the hell is Demand Progress? And why are they asking me for $5? I don't have $5. I don't have any dollars at all. All my currency is in euro. And I've got some krona left over from uh, when I was in Oslo last week. But I went to look at their website to see what kind of shenanigans I'm expected to get involved in. And, well, you know, uh, block the Comcast Time Warner takeover. Eh, what do I care about that? Or do I, maybe I should. I just don't know. But Comcast and Time Warner are not entities that we have to deal with here in Ireland. Their next campaign is Protect Net Neutrality and the Open Internet. I'm all for that. Good on you. Good stuff. End unconstitutional mass surveillance. That's another one. And look, I think I think we should all be behind that. Everything we're doing and saying and texting and WhatsApping and Facebook messengering and Snapchatting and, and everything else is being collected. Imagine if at some time in the future the world ends or, you know, humanity as a species is wiped out and a new species emerges or, I don't know, aliens uh, come down to Earth and they find these data stores, these great big data centers which contain all the emails and all the Facebook messages and, and everything else that we've got. And they'd look at this and go, how, do, how did these people 
No wonder they're all dead. No wonder. So I think, even for the sake of our our history, our place in the history books, we should end unconstitutional mass surveillance. What about constitutional mass surveillance, though? Are they saying that all mass surveillance is unconstitutional, or do they only want an end to the unconstitutional mass surveillance? I'm a little confused. I could click on the thing and, uh, you know, look at it, I suppose, but no, that seems like an awful lot of, an awful lot of um, hassle, you know. And the other one is, release the torture report now. So, apparently two million people are demanding progress, and I am one of them, thanks to my name doppelganger in the United States of America, who signed me up for this thing. Does he ever sign up for stuff and wonder, like, why don't I ever get the emails that I sign up for? I applied for all these jobs, and they never, ever get back to me. He must be, like, really confused about how email works. Because surely nothing ever gets to him. I hadn't thought about that. Do you think he sits there going, well, why, why, can't, why can't I get these emails? Why is it when I give my email to something, it just, just never arrives? Does nobody like me? Am I, do I even exist? Maybe I'm a construct of somebody's imagination. Maybe that's why. I email, therefore I am. But he emails and, and he amn't. He amn't anything because I am. Maybe I'm really him. It's all getting a bit confusing, I have to say. Um, and demand progress, I'm not giving you $5. You know, I, I'm confused by your motives and, and everything else, so you should be clearer in the emails that I didn't sign up for. But, you know, you do like John Oliver, so maybe uh, I think I've got some some quarters left over from my last visit, so I'll sellotape a couple of quarters to a postcard and send that to you. And then maybe I should try find that other guy and, and see what his life is like. God, imagine getting him on the on the podcast. That'd be really dull. Anyway, right, um, okay. Uh, Chelsea this weekend, we're going to look ahead at that in a while. Uh, but with me now to discuss various things, uh, not only the FA Cup semi-final, but also uh, Olivier Giroud. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show from France 24. It's our friend Dan Levy. Hi, Dan. Hello. Um, right. Well, look, let's start very quickly on another FA Cup final on the horizon for Arsenal. Uh, we touched on this game mostly in the Arscast Extra on Monday, but still uh, something to really look forward to and to kind of focus the minds uh, between now and the end of the season. I mean, I guess in a way they have to they have to put it to one side, but it's still uh, a nice thing to look forward to at the end of May. I think it's fantastic. It's a fantastic thing for the fans to look forward to at the end of May, as, as well as, of course, the, the players and the manager as well. I, I, I was at the game last year. I was lucky enough to be there, and I, it, I thought it was amazing. Like it really was something that I'd, you know, always wanted Arsenal to do was to get back to winning the FA Cup. We have such a great history in it. We now will have been in more finals than any other team. Yeah. Uh, nobody has won it more than us. And Wenger's, I think, quite close to equaling the record for the most wins for any manager ever. I think he will if he gets this one. It'll be sixth, won't it? So yeah. he has a great history in the cup. There was that series from, was it the year 2001 to 2005? We're in the final pretty much every year apart from that semi-final in 2004 mm. when we probably should have been there ahead of Man United. And, you know, I think that it, despite the fact that some people think it may have lost a little bit of status, it's still a great competition. And the only 
thing about this particular finalist is kind of the Sherwood factor, the Sherwoodiness of it. I just feel like there might be a, even though he is a kind of hashtag top gooner, uh, he might not, it might not be Agent Tim for us in this final. He's probably going to really use that to get his players up for it. And he's going to be very good at, I think, whatever you like to say about how good a manager is, very good at getting his players up for that final in the role of underdog. So who knows? But I, I'd rather play them. Yeah, I'd rather play, even with the Sherwood factor, I'd rather play them than, than Liverpool, I think, who still yeah. have some really dangerous players. I like that, the Sherwoodiness. I mean, nobody really mm. knows quite how good he is or isn't um, because he had a very short spell, obviously, at Tottenham uh, before they before they let him go. And he has come in and done very good things uh, for Aston Villa. But then I suppose the state that Villa were in there was really only one way uh, it could go and the, there is often that effect isn't there where a new manager comes in the players feel a bit liberated a bit freed he gives them uh, you know some self-belief some confidence he does strike you as that kind of a guy you know who talk Definitely. you into a good state of mind uh, unlike Lambert who was uh, perhaps a bit more dour and I think in a way, it's not just because he's kind of cynically decided that that is the best thing to tell you. I think he really just believes all that stuff himself. Mm. And, uh, and I think that actually does make him very endearing to a lot of people, even though for us, he was, you know, he's a former Tottenham manager. Um, he, I think he's really going to get the best out of, out of Ben Teke. It's already starting to happen. He obviously, you know, had that a very dangerous attacking kind of triumvirate of, uh, of uh, Grealish and, and Delph and Ben Teke. Uh, against Liverpool which was really effective and I I do think it'll be dangerous for us as well and we won't have as well kind of uh, you know the kind of agent colo factor that we had against Liverpool where I thought <laughs> in that four and when he was he was really helpful um, you know I think that actually they have some quite good players in defence you know Vlar you know who's third in the World Cup and, and they're a pretty well set up team I just wonder if whether you know you, you still think we're going to be favourites and I think this time around this Arsenal team is much better equipped to deal with that you know much yeah. better than the side in 2011 when we lost in the League Cup final in that awful fashion at the end of the game and I think even better than the side last year who struggled against Wigan in that semi and then struggled against uh, Hull in the final even though we did get it done in the end yeah. I, I think we're, we're in a much better place now There is of course the uh, the possibility of Agent Senderos doing his work <laughs> Yes of course I've forgotten about him <laughs> Yeah so uh, I don't know how often he's playing or why he's not playing or whether he's injured or, or anything else but, We'll have to uh, get him in the team Yeah for sure uh, We'll see if we can get someone to have a quiet word <laughs> Yeah. Um, Alright well look uh, FA Cup is something to look forward to in a while and, and there's a big game coming up this weekend which we'll touch on in, in a few minutes time but um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Olivier Giroud and he's been uh, talking to the French media over the last uh, week or 10 days um, and, and had some quite interesting things to say about his career and the way it's progressed Yeah he was the, the guest on, uh, on BN Sports on their Sunday night show uh, about a couple of weeks ago and, uh, and he was just really interesting because, you know, he's a, he's a very open guy and they did all these kind of features with him and they went and spoke to his former coaches and they dug out all his former haircuts and put them onto a nice tableau and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, and he, he just, I mean, we knew that, that he's sort of an incredibly likable guy and all his former teammates were saying, you know, kind of how nice he is and the former PR guy at, at Montpellier where they won the title said, you know, he's the kind of guy that you often see players who get better, improve and, and start to, you know, really kind of get a big head. And actually with Giroud, it wasn't like that at all. He stayed exactly the same. He was an absolute pleasure to deal with all the way through, even when he was the star striker. You know, he scored 21 goals in the league that season. They won mm. the title. And, um, and, but, the, but it was almost that he was too nice. That was the kind of thing that came through. And it was something that Giroud said himself. You know, he had this um, guy called Max Malti, who was, uh, who was uh, basically somebody he worked under at Grenoble, and then he took him to Tours 
when uh, when he went there in, in Ligue 2. And he just said, look, he's a great guy, but sometimes we wanted him to be a bit more aggressive on the pitch. And the, the way he kind of put it was, he, he was this kind of, he's this beautiful like pedigree cat, you know, <laughs> thoroughbred. And we actually wanted him to be a bit of a kind of wily alley cat you know a bit more kind of feral guy. yeah a bit more feral exactly you know we kind of rough up his fur and and um and i think that that's something that jiru has been working on himself and he he actually said i thought the most interesting part of what he said was that you know he said the thing i personally have to work on is that you know when i was young people said i was a bit nonchalant and i wasn't quite aggressive enough and i think with jiru you know you can tell that he's a good guy he's got his feet on the ground and um, and I don't think that nonchalance comes from a position of, of, of kind of haughtiness or arrogance. I don't think he sort of thinks, well, look, I'm too good for this. I'm not going to try. I think there's almost a kind of shyness to him on the field, you know, a slight inferiority complex. You know, he was playing in Ligue 2 well into his early 20s. And um, he said it himself, the thing I have to work on is pushing myself and kind of getting out of my comfort zone. And it was quite interesting. He used the word comfort. And that just really made me thought about, think about the spell he had out of the team at the start of the season and the Mm. effect it may have had on him now, you know. He said, you know, you really have to be able to focus properly and I talk about that with Arsene Wenger and it has improved for me in England, you know, being not just physically ready for every game but also mentally ready, you know, being um, really single-minded on the pitch. And I think he must have looked at that time out and saw and seen Danny Welbeck playing in his position for three months. And we said, you know, maybe physically he was refreshed and even mentally and perhaps tactically refreshed. But I think perhaps it also, that period out, when he was sitting on the sidelines watching somebody else play in his position because that wasn't the case the season before he was the undisputed number one yeah. there was no one to challenge him at all even though Sonogo played ahead of him at times there was no challenge to him yeah. and he, I think that perhaps really helped to recalibrate his attitude and he sort of thought you know what I really have to give everything I've got when I'm going into these games and, and really take the chances that come to me and, and be a bit more aggressive be a bit nastier Yeah, you know? I mean I think there's there are a couple of things that strike me one is that the you know when you talk about him being a nice guy, perhaps there's that expectation that other people are going to be nice guys as well. And he, he's found himself buffeted around by uh, central defenders and he's not getting free kicks that he thinks he should get. And he's, you know, displayed that to referees. And referees, of course, you know, if they don't give you a free kick, that's it, done and dusted. But perhaps uh, there was a sense of injustice on his part. But but also um, that that side of things has been has been cut out like he does seem more focused and he's a really interesting player in that when you talk about him playing in, in Ligue 2 um, into his early 20s to be where he is now in terms of the progression that he's made he seems to be a guy who's getting better every season and I think that's true even from the, the, the two and a half three seasons that he's been at Arsenal Definitely. he was uh, he's better this season than he was last season and last season he was better than he was in his first season yeah, I mean, I, I kind of geeked out and looked at, the, you know, the numbers and actually there's a very clear improvement every time he moves club, you know. Uh, at Tour, he was sort of on goals per game, he was on about 0.3 in the first season and then over, uh, you know, 0.5 in the second one. The same thing exactly when he went to Montpellier, 0.32 and then it was up to 0.58 and then at Arsenal, obviously, he's done very similar, 0.36, mm. then 0.43 and then this season he's up at, you know, kind of 0.62 goals per game and, and then you add in all the assists as well. And what I think as well is, quite interesting about what you were just saying is that he specifically said that that he'd been told by the Arsenal coaching staff that he was too demonstrative that he was kind of giving too much away emotionally when he was missing chances and stuff like that and it Mm. made me think of this thing um, it was Rio Ferdinand wasn't it he brought out a book and he said this thing about Dennis Bergkamp and that he went up to Bergkamp and he said hey you know do you reckon we could swap swap shirts at the end of the game and Bergkamp just said I don't swap shirts (laughs) <laughs> just kind of just kind of left it and he said you know that's what the great players were like they were just cold on the pitch they would just blank you and Giroud I mean I 
maybe some people don't think it's important. I'm quite glad that he's a great guy off the pitch. Now, that is important to me. I like that Arsenal players are kind of, you know, quite good guys. Um, but on the pitch, you do want them to be, you know, maybe nasty isn't the right word, but you want them to just do what they need to do to win. Yeah, a bit more cynical at times. Yeah, cynical is the right word, exactly. You want them to be cynical and, and kind of professional and uh, and pragmatic. And I think that perhaps that's what been miss- what's been missing. But what's clear is that he does work on it and he's humble enough and smart enough to know you know how to improve that's another thing that they were saying about him the guys who worked with him was young is that he didn't have to play football he was smart you know he had he had qualifications he could have done something else obviously he's going to probably make a lot more money playing football but they were like he he perhaps didn't see football as the be all and end of himself because he was interested in other things how how much of the progression as well can we put down obviously to him and the way that he works and you've got to take your hat off to that but also number one having better players around him because he's mm. he's now working with, um, for example, uh, Alexis, Santi Gazorla, Mesut Ozil, whereas in his first season, that wasn't necessarily the, the same calibre of player around him. Um, uh, and secondly, being pushed by the presence of those players to be a better player himself. I think it's probably a bit more of the latter, just because if you look at the, you know, the chance conversion rate he has, he is scoring more of those chances and it's not perhaps just because you know um for example if you compare it to earlier in his career when he was playing at a lower level it's not just about the fact that you know it's he's getting better quality balls because he's facing better defenders and better goalkeepers so and there's more pressure so in theory Mm. it would be more difficult to convert those chances so I think you know a lot of credit has to go to him and the fact that I think just mentally he has gone up a level what is he 28 now yeah he's 25 I think 29 rather at the end of the season so He's probably just at the right time and he's maturing in the right way. And, he, you know, he's a guy that all of the French players seem to like as well in the national team. They just say, look, he's a great guy. And they always talk about, you know, oh, he's so good looking. Oh, he's funny. <laughs> but, he's, but also he's just not, he's just not a dick. He's a really down to earth guy who is, is popular. And I think he does have, he doesn't have that kind of, um, you know, what really struck me about this thing about, he talks about going to Clairefontaine at the age of 15 and they did this like uh, training session for the strikers with Jean-Pierre Papin. And he was like, uh, actually, you know, I kind of, I kind of was a bit transparent there. I didn't really impose myself. I was a bit shy and I was one of the only guys who came from Ligue 2. And, you know, when he was young, they were saying he wasn't really there. And as I said, like, I don't think that's because he was arrogant about his ability. I think he wasn't applying himself perhaps because he was just a bit nervous and probably thought, you know, I'm not as good as these guys. I'm probably going to fail. He doesn't have that kind of inveterate self-confidence of a Nicholas Bentner. (laughs) he he has he probably has the much better contrasting balance of being quite humble yeah and and you know having a desire to work but perhaps just needed to gain a bit more of that just belief that like i'm going to score the chances how is he viewed in france as you know as a club player and an international player because at international level uh, he's competing more or less with uh, uh, Karim Benzema, Benzema for, yeah. for his place in the side. And Benzema obviously is, you know, hugely established at Real Madrid. Um, you know, is there a feeling that Giroud is catching him up? Or, you know, is he a, is he a popular um, uh, player among the fans of Les Bleus? He is popular. Um, he's not, he's seen as the second striker to, to Benzema. And, and there's no doubt about that. There was a time when... Uh, Benzema went on a really, really long uh, barren run without scoring. It was a couple of years ago, and he hadn't scored. In, it was something ridiculous, like a you know, thousand minutes or something for France. 
and uh, and then Giroud was starting at one or two games ahead of him. It was kind of, and it was approaching the World Cup, and people were saying, "Wow, is Giroud going to be the starting striker at the World Cup?" And yeah. I remember sort of thinking that'd be weird because we always want Benzema to kind of replace Giroud at the time. That's what a lot of people were saying about Arsenal, and actually he's going to be playing ahead of him for France. But once Benzema got a couple of goals again, it was clear that he was starting. Man, and I thought, you know, you saw that last night with Real Madrid against Atletico. You know, the difference between Benzema and Chicharito. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. I mean, Benzema really is a top, top, top class forward. And um, But there was something quite interesting I thought about that. Uh, what happened with Chicharito last night as well because he he missed so I don't know if you saw the game but he missed so many chances yeah. he scores that one at the end which is basically a tap in after Ronaldo set him up and he goes off celebrating like you know Alain Zaghi like a madman because he's won in the game and I think that's perhaps almost what Giroud was missing that sense of like oh well I've missed this chance now but do you know what I'll score the next one it doesn't matter all, it, all that has to happen is that I score the winner yeah. I don't care if I miss the other seven or the other six but Giroud would sort of be like you know he kind of throwing his hands in the air and you know he'd look too histrionic and I think that gave too much of an edge to the defenders yeah. they were saying look this guy's panicking and I think what he's managed to get a better handle on now is firstly he's more confident but secondly he's probably deliberately been a bit cooler and, sh- and given away a bit less on yeah. the pitch. Kind of strange comments actually from Thierry Henry, weren't they? Um, in relation to that goal. Um, I, I, I didn't think hear we, I saw somebody reference it on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I think he was just sort of saying pretty much what you said. Like, he's run off there celebrating like a madman and, you know, he was trying to, I think, in a fairly ham-fisted way, um, 
uh, play up the contribution of Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, who did a lot yeah. to, to set up the goal. Um, you know, bearing in mind, of course, that Ronaldo is the kind of guy who would celebrate scoring a last-minute yeah, yeah. penalty in a 4-0 win as if he had won the World with Cup nudity. himself. <laughs> with nudity and that horrendous <laughs> neck of his. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's a terrible thing. But, you know, if you can't celebrate like crazy uh, at the end of a Champions League quarterfinal in which you score the goal... I mean, look, Thierry. Thierry's had his celebratory celebratory moments. Um, when you think about games against Tottenham in the past, um, you know, running the length of the pitch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, the thing is, Henri was somebody who had who is so sort of self aware, almost in such a calculating way that I think he he, unlike a guy like Chicharito and Zaghi, probably doesn't get lost in the moment of a goal celebration like that. He kind of always is in control of his image. And, and how he's going to appear. So I suppose he's probably, probably just not quite the right person to, yeah. you know, to kind of see it from Chicharito's point of view. He is capable of of sort of uh, choreographing his celebration to a goal like that, even <laughs> on that sort of, you know, impulsive, yeah. as I don't think most players are. Yeah, all right. Well, look... Um Let's leave Giroud to one side then, and look if ahead. We if we have to, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a very pleasant subject to look at. But we're we're an audio medium here, so people aren't getting the full <laughs> benefit of it. Um, and this weekend, then a game against Chelsea. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt where the title is going, but it would no. be nice if we could delay the party um, for for Jose Mourinho and, and his uh, team of, of miscreants and reprobates. Um, <laughs> this is this is hopefully thirteenth time lucky for Arsene Wenger. It's funny because I always used to call the Arsenal team Arsene Wenger's band of travelling lovely young men. You know, just because they are, <laughs> we have the opposite, don't we? we? Have this sort of nice team uh, since we kind of lost the, the Vieiras and the Keones. Um Yeah, I think I think that you know they're it's weird. You do sort of do feel quite confident going into this match, perhaps dangerously so. I mean, you look at the numbers and we are on this amazing run. There was a thing on Arsenal.com. Um, on Wednesday evening about you know the longest winning runs that Arsenal have been on and, and I think there have only been five longer than this one and uh, and four of them have been part of a, a title win you know right so it gives you an, an idea you, of, of how good a run we're on historically speaking and uh, you know I think that we if we can carry that on this eve uh, sorry on Sunday it's going to go a long way to not winning the title this time around but putting us in a very strong position for next season and uh, we're on such an amazing run of form since the since the United defeat. It's twenty four wins in twenty nine, and I think since Spurs, it's twelve wins in thirteen, and it's yeah. eleven eleven in a row in domestic competition. It's, so, it's um, yeah, I mean, going into it's this title winning form, it is. Uh, but you know, if you don't have a terrible start to the season, obviously. Yeah. But you know, going into this game, normally when you go in, there's a sort of a resignation about. Well, we're playing Chelsea, and this is not going to go the way that we want it to go. Um, I, I think the win at Stamford Bridge, or the, the defeat at Stamford Bridge, rather, was uh, showed signs of what was to come, perhaps, from, from Arsenal, even though it was 2-0. We did have some chances that day, and I don't think it was any way as, as uh, conclusive and convincing as, as some of the other victories. Um, this time around, they're going to face them, having beaten Manchester United, having beaten Manchester City, having thrashed Liverpool you know, uh, ticking all of the boxes that people wanted ticked in the second half of the season. And this is the biggest box of them all. So we're in, we're in good shape to go into, into this fixture uh, in terms of our form, in terms of their form. You know, it's set up for, a, a, for Arsenal to have a really good chance of winning this one. I, I do totally agree. Although Chelsea, despite the fact that they're not quite winning games the way they were and they haven't quite been as strong uh, since January as, as 
they were in the first part of the season. They are unbeaten since that defeat yeah. against Bradford City in FA Cup. So I still think actually beating them is, is quite a tall order for us. But I think the key, we say this very often, is probably going to be scoring first because we never do against them in these games. We always sort of dominate for 15, 20 minutes or, oh, and that 6 nil it was what, about one minute, wasn't it? <laughs> but, you know, then we, then, we, then we kind of concede and then it kind of falls apart. I don't think this team will fall apart the same way. It didn't happen in the game in the first half of the season. You know, the difference there really was was Eden Hazard because that run was amazing and it just opened up um, well they won a penalty and that and that trying to kind of change the game and then you know we kind of lost concentration for a moment and Fabregas put Costa in but I think scoring early is going to be key in our win, win in our run while there are eight Premier League wins in a row that we're on now we've led at half time in seven of them yeah. and I think that shows you how important it is for us to do that mm. and I think doing it against Chelsea could really be the difference this time around yeah I mean perhaps uh, at the weekend against Reading or last weekend there was a, a little bit of disappointment with the performance itself I mean how much do you think um, the occasion played a part in that because uh, when you beat Liverpool 4-1 and then you go and you play Reading and you struggle to beat them uh, and it takes a bit of a mistake from the goalkeeper does that knock the confidence or, or you know does that become co- compartmentalized almost straight away look you know we did what we had to do the job was getting to the final that's what we did let's pick it up now against Chelsea I would imagine that it depends quite a lot on you know the kind of very differing psychology of all the players like I you know without trying to sound sort of too psychological about it I don't I would imagine that it really depends on the person and and, the, and how they interact with each other as a group and perhaps the manager as well but Wenger always says that you know winning next like winning the previous game is 70% of winning the next game. Yeah. And I, and I think that is just about the result to a large degree. You know, I think if, if teams play well and lose, it's probably still quite hard to get them to feel confident about winning their next match unless they really are a, 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 an amazing side or completely confident in their own ability. You know, Wenger talks ahead of this Chelsea game about the fact that they've kind of ticked a few of those boxes, you know, going to Manchester and winning twice at City, at United. And... I've been quite heartened by the fact that so many Arsenal fans and bloggers have been talking quite positively about the defeat against Chelsea earlier in the season. Maybe it's easy to after the 6-0, but you know, yeah. I think we did. We, it was part of this improving performance and dynamic in the big games. And it, I don't want to put too much pressure on it because in a way I think we'll probably draw. <laughs> but you know, I, I think if we do win... It doesn't mean we're going to win the title. It doesn't mean we're going to win the title next season. But it will, I think, really do a lot for the confidence of these players. And I think, you know, the the game in the semi-final, to answer your question more directly, it was a big occasion. And I watched it back and we weren't that bad, I think. You know, we, we hit the woodwork three times and, you know, yeah. had a lot of chances. And we weren't in that much danger. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's Reading playing for the... Giving it they're all in at Wembley in the semi final. Like, of course, it's going to be tough. You're not going to win that 5 0. Mm, yeah, so I, I think that they'll just think, yeah, we're, we're in the final. Who cares? Mm. Um, the uh, elephant in the room, the Catalan and uh, the Catalan elephant, uh, as it were. Don't know uh, what you're talking about. <laughs> um, Arsene Wenger, as he always does, uh, says, you know, he'd like for Cesc Fabregas to be respected the way he deserves to be, which, of course, is quite open ended when you, <laughs> when you step does that back. Does that mean people throwing it? their own feces at him? Uh, I, well, I don't know if, if it's going to go that far. I hope but, not, but that's how some people might see it. Yeah, well, look, this is not a call to... Uh, to Definitely don't do that, everybody. Yeah, please don't. Um, you know, you're only going to get some under your fingernails and 
It's You'd have a, to wash your hands if you uh, it's a, smell. Yeah, it's a killer to get out. Anyway, um, the, the point <laughs> is that I, you know, there is going to be uh, a reception for him because um, as much as uh, you know, as much as people, some people will look back and say, "Well, he was a great player for us in that period." Um, he did leave. He went to Barcelona. I don't think anybody really begrudged him a move to Barcelona. But when you come back. Uh, and um, I think we all know the dynamics of football and sometimes things don't work out the way you want to. Uh, you know, uh, he's at Chelsea now. And, of course, everybody ha- hates Chelsea. And that, by association, means that he's going to get some stick, I think. Yeah, the mistake was going to Chelsea because, obviously, nobody likes them because um, they're horrible. Uh, yeah, but absolutely. I, they're I th- wankers. <laughs> but I, I think that, uh, you know, the... The Fabregas thing is is a bit worrying, I think, because people have made quite a lot about how he dips in the second half of the season. I think that's a little bit of a myth, actually. I know that there are some statistics that back it up, but you know those statistics tended to conveniently leave out the fact that he didn't really do that at Arsenal, and there was a season there at Barca where that didn't really happen, and that was left out. And I think actually, you know, he's just super dangerous because he's bloody brilliant. And I was I was a really big advocate of bringing him back over the summer. I always on the proviso that we don't really know what happens and we don't really know what the relationship with, between him and Arsene Wenger was like. Yeah, But I still think he's probably the best midfielder in the league. I know people are going to say, well, Ozil's in form now and da-da-da. And, and Ozil is amazing. I'm a huge fan. And I was from the Werder Bremen days. But Fabregas, when he's on song, is is can do everything, really. And um, I think what's like for me slightly mitigated the fact that we didn't bring Fabregas back is how good Cazorla has been. And how good Cazorla has been in that deeper midfield position, which I didn't expect. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in terms of his assist numbers, like assists per minute and stuff like that, you know, he's and key passes and stuff. He's very close to Fabregas, mm. you know. Um, so he's been amazing. But I don't know. I'm just, Fabregas did get that goal the other week against QPR. And, and I think that what I found quite funny about that was that he ripped his mask off as he went to celebrate. And I just imagine him saying, it's me, Cesc Fabregas. It was me all along. <laughs> and they're like, well, Oh, it says it yeah. on your shirt, Fabregas. We, yeah. we knew it was you. Um, I mean, Mesut Ozil has been in great form. And obviously, part of the reason Arsene Wenger didn't go back for Fabregas was because he'd spent £42.5 million on a player who, you know, can do many of the same things, but but obviously does them in a different way. There's a bit more uh, elegance, you might say, to the way that, that Ozil plays. Um, I, I don't know if anybody is still unconvinced by his quality, but a, a big showing on, on Sunday... Uh, making a decisive impact yeah. would would certainly go a long way to to quelling pretty much all the doubts. I mean, there's he he's a much more elegant player than Fabregas, yeah. but he has a bit less, at least a bit less ostensible drive. And I do agree that part of the criticism was actually just related to his body language. I think if he'd looked like he was running around the pitch snarling, people would have criticised him less in the slightly more fallow period he had yeah. uh, earlier in the season. But also, I think Fabregas, for us at least at Arsenal at that time did drag us through games did win us games on his own yeah. and Ozil doesn't really do that but then he probably doesn't really need to do that and I think part of that is because we have Sanchez now to do all of the running around and snarling and, and inspiring people with the way he plays and that means that you can almost take a bit of the focus off Ozil mm-hmm. and allow him just to create goals which is what he does best and uh, if he can do that on Sunday it'd be great I think the key would be as I said doing it earlier in the match yeah all right well let's hope it's an early assist from Ozil to to Giroud who uh, celebrates by smearing something on John Terry I think that will work Um, (laughs) you're okay as long as it's John Terry yeah absolutely yeah or any of them actually I'm not that picky just someone you know all right right, Dan uh, thank you as always and uh, we'll chat to you again soon
Pleasure. Thank you to Dan. You can find him on Twitter at DanLevy1. At DanLevy1. We're going to look ahead to the Chelsea game this weekend against Chelsea. The Chelsea game against Chelsea in which we play Chelsea against Chelsea where we face Chelsea in a Premier League game against Chelsea. And that's coming up on Sunday. We'll have some team news in a little bit. But now, it's a Maori Bischoff P.I. I was sitting there trying to remember why my marriage to Cheryl and Finn fell apart when the guy walked in. Hang on, mister, I said. I'm trying to remember something. Then I remembered I was never married to her. In fact, I've never been married at all. What do you want, mister, I said. I'm worried, he said. Oh, yeah, I said, about what? Well, he said, I, uh, I gotta go back and see my ex. Oh, yeah, I said, what do I care? Well, he said, uh, it didn't end particularly well. What do you want me to do about that, mister, I said. I was kind of hoping you'd go over there and smooth things out a bit, he said. I'm not sure I'm gonna do that, mister, I said, I... I recognize you now. Oh yeah, he said. You better believe it, I said. I reached down into my desk and pulled out a black and white woodland animal and I shoved it in his face. What the hell are you doing, mister, he said. I heard you like to kiss badgers, I said. Kiss the badger. Go on, kiss it. Kiss the fucking badger. You better kiss this badger right now. With tongue. Do it. Yeah, you like that, don't you? We will have more from Amari Bischoff P.I. at some point in the very near future. Now, we're going to look ahead to the Chelsea game, which obviously is taking place on Sunday. And there was something I wanted to talk about before that, and I should have written it down because now I can't remember what it is. Um, No, wasn't that, no. I don't, I don't know what it is, so I'm just going to have to go straight into the to the team news. Um, there's a doubt over Per Mertesacker. He's not trained all week, apparently because of the ankle injury that he sustained in a challenge during the Reading win last weekend at Wembley, so he may not be fit. That would mean Gabrielle starting alongside Lauren Koscielny. Um Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain remains out with his groin strain. Mikel Arteta is back in full training, but probably a little bit short of match fitness to be considered for this one. So it'll be interesting to see what the manager does in terms of his team, particularly as uh, as we're facing Chelsea, who are, um, well, you know, they're not top of the league for no reason. You know, they're a very good side and they have some very good players. Maybe it's just me being overly cynical, but I'm not sure I buy any of this stuff about how they might not have any fit strikers. Um Costa's been off with a hamstring strain and Remy's been injured and Drogba's got an ankle injury and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they can work their laboratory magic and get one or two of them fit. So I expect that to happen. So how we set up them will be interesting. I think Matthew Debushi will play it right back. Uh, the minutes that he got at Wembley will be uh, will be good for him. Get those under his belt and hopefully he'll be a little bit sharper, particularly if he's going to have to deal with a player like Eden Hazard. Um, who plays on the right-hand side? What's he going to do? Will he keep Aaron Ramsey there? 
Will he move Ramsey back into a more central position, put Alexis out there? No, I don't know that he's going to do an awful lot with the shape of, of the team. But you have to say, perhaps against Reading, that formation didn't quite work the way we might have wanted it. It worked very well against Liverpool, though, at home, and we are at home. So maybe that will be the thing. And look, um, it's Chelsea. We haven't beaten them in quite a while. Uh, this will be the 13th attempt for Arsene Wenger to try and beat Jose Mourinho. I mean, it's not like he's lost every single one of those games, but the record is not good, and that is certainly going to be a monkey that he wants to get off his back. And look, let's face it, um, it's about time. It's about time. Uh, we've got some very interesting Chelsea team news as well. News is they are all cunts, every single one of them, to varying degrees, of course, uh, and managed by the most evil person in, in history. I've decided he's number one right at this moment while I'm thinking about him in his face. He's number one. And then, of course, there is the return of Cesc Fabregas. Played for us for many seasons. Was a fantastic player. And as many of you will know, I've got a big soft spot for Cesc. Um, he's going to get the booze, though. That's what happens when you go and play for Chelsea. You get the booze because, you know, you're guilty by association. Simple as that. Regardless of what you did in the past, and I've got all the respect in the world for uh, for most of that, um, yeah, you play for Chelsea, you expect to get um, the Chelsea player treatment, and he will be expecting that, of course. He's a professional footballer, he knows how it's going to go down. A lot of it is pantomime stuff, um, but, it, you know, it'll add to the atmosphere. Well, what's already going to be a fairly contentious atmosphere, uh, when we played at Stamford Bridge, you might remember the two managers came together with like a clash of uh, rutting stags, except one of the stags was, was terrified of a 64-year-old man. You know, the kind of sneaky little stag, that fella? He wasn't, you know, he wasn't up for it, was he? Not at all. He was like, oh, don't, Arson, please. That's what he was like. You know, and you run through these pictures of oh, what way would you like the manager to react if uh, if we score the winning goal? Like, do you want him to do a Mourinho and run and, and pump his fists, or do a knee slide in front of the Chelsea dugout? You know, I, I would just I would just like Arsene to walk calmly over to Mourinho, stick a finger up his nose, and then just wipe it in his hair. But that's just me. You know, I'm I'm petty like that. So let's hope that Mourinho's got snotty hair by 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. Um, let's keep this good run going. Three points would be great. And we're going into this game against them in probably the best form that we've gone into a game against them in a long time, full of confidence. Players are playing well. So, you know, let's keep it going. Let's keep this good run that we're on going. So um, if you're going, have a great time. If you're not, you know, sit in the sofa, drink a beer. Uh, I'll be here on Monday with James. We'll have an Arscast Extra. We'll look back over whatever happens in the Chelsea game on Sunday against Chelsea when we play Chelsea in the Premier League in a Premier League clash against Chelsea at the Emirates against Chelsea. So uh, that's just about it. So we'll have more on the Arscast Extra on Monday and uh, we'll look ahead to whatever the hell is happening next week in the Arscast regular on Friday. So until then, have yourselves a great weekend. See some of you for, you know, stuff and things. And uh, that's it. Until the next one. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.